from you this morning. Be with Brady as he brings your, your passage, your message. Lord, may it sink into our very souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. Todd, um, one of the things I love about you is um, I love all the incredible situations you get yourself in. And so it's incredible. But one of the things the other day, Todd came to, to, to the office and he has a shirt on that says, I'm Todd doing Todd things. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, loved it. So I just want you to know, First Baptist Church, how gifted and faithful your staff is in serving you. It is an incredible staff. Yeah, give them a round of applause. It has been one of the great joys of being here over the last month is getting to know and serving with your staff. Tim, our student minister, is doing an incredible job with our students. And this weekend, they are in Snowbird in North Carolina. We have a picture of them there. Um, and we have over 100 students or 100 people there in North Carolina. And they are seeking to see teenagers' lives change for the gospel. Aren't you grateful to be in a church that invests in the next generation? It's an incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so continue to pray for them as they are there and as they make their way back today. But this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, will you turn to Colossians chapter 2? We're going to be in verses 4 through 8. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brady Martin. I'm the new lead pastor here at First Baptist, and I'd love a chance to get to know you at the Welcome Center after the service. But as you find your passage this morning, I want to tell you about a man you've probably never heard of. His name is Crawford Toy. I have a picture of him here. This is Crawford Toy, um, and Crawford Toy was um, a student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1859 when it was founded. He wanted, at that time, to go on the mission field, and he was going there for training. He was a remarkable student. The president of the seminary at the time said he outshined all other students. Before long, he would graduate, he would become a professor. He even taught at an institute to train women who wanted to go on the mission field. One of his, particular, one of his students really took an interest in Crawford Toy. Her name was Charlotte Moon. Her friends called her Lottie. And she and Crawford um, struck up a relationship. And at one point, they had been courting, and Crawford Toy had asked Lottie Moon to marry him. And Lottie Moon thought about it, and at that time she said, I am committed to going on the mission field, and Crawford Toy was committed to being a professor, and so she did not pursue the relationship, though they continued to be friends and wrote letters for years to come. Crawford Toy would continue to teach at the seminary until 1865 when he decided he wanted to go study in Europe. He wanted to go to the University of Berlin. And so he went over there and studied. And while he was at the University of Berlin, he became enamored with a book that came out the same year he started seminary, 1859. That book was by a man named Charles Darwin. And the book was called Origin of Species. And in that time, he became enamored with that book, and he became enamored with what is called German higher criticism. And he began having questions about the authority of the Bible. Well, Crawford Toy went back to the United States, began teaching there at Southern Seminary again. 
But as the years went on, he found himself not believing what he used to believe. He began teaching that Darwin's theories were correct, that the Bible had spiritual truth, but it wasn't actually true. And he began to undermine the authority of the Bible. Eventually, the seminary said, you can't teach here any longer if you're going to hold to those things. Well, at this time, Lottie Moon had been on the mission field for several years, and she had become lonely, and she had been riding back and forth with Crawford Toy, and they decided at that point they were going to finally get married. Until she found out that he no longer believed in the Bible, and Lottie Moon dumped him. She says, I'm not going to marry you if you don't believe in the Bible. Girls in here, that's a great indicator. If the guy you're dating does not believe in the Bible, it's time to dump him. That's just how it goes. And so she ended the relationship. And she stayed on the mission field the rest of her life. Crawford Toy, who had began as such a promising young seminary student and a teacher, even of one of the earliest teachers in Southern Baptist life, he would go on to deny that the divinity of Jesus. He would deny the resurrection of Jesus. He would eventually leave Christianity altogether, and he would go and teach at Harvard, where he would become a close friend of Woodrow Wilson. The question I have for us this morning is how did someone who seemingly was a proponent of Christianity a defender of Christianity, end up so far away from where they began. That's the issue our text is going to address in Colossians 2, 4 through 8 this morning. You see, today, people will use a term called de-churched. The term de-churched refers to people who once attended church but no longer do. Over 30 million people have become de-churched over the last 30 years. One out of six Americans. There's also a term called deconstructing. And this refers to those who grew up in evangelical churches who have deconstructed their faith. That means those who have taken their faith that they once held to and they have taken it apart and only kept the parts that they found meaningful. While these terms may be new, de-churched, deconstructing, the idea behind them is not. You see it in the life of Crawford Toy, and you see it threatening the early church too. And today, hear me church, we don't need new solutions to these problems. We need to go back and find the solutions that the Word of God says. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Colossians 2. But I want to remind you a little of the context of the book of Colossians. Here in the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to a church to address what's known as the Colossian heresy. This was a problem that there was a group teaching that Jesus wasn't enough for spiritual maturity, that you needed to go beyond Jesus. And there were these mystery cults that were asking people to join them. And these mystery cults, they wanted to get Christians to move beyond Jesus into a greater mystery of the universe and they were making some inroads in the church there at Colossae. And so Paul is writing to address that very issue. So let's dive into verse 4 and see what Paul has to say about walking with Jesus for a lifetime. Verse 4, Paul writes, I'm saying this 
so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Now, stop there for a second, because this is important to understand. There are arguments that you can hear in our culture that on the surface sound reasonable, but under further examination actually lead you away from Jesus. All right? Verse 5. For I may be absent in body, because he, he, he's never even been to this church, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul invites us to think of the Christian life as a walk. So I want you to get that in your head this morning. Think of the Christian life as a walk with Jesus over a lifetime. He's saying to these Christians at Colossae, you've begun well. You've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord. You've taken the first step. And I want you to notice those three words there. Christ Jesus as Lord. They believed in Christ. That is the Greek word that is the he that replaces the Hebrew word Messiah. The Greek word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. It means that Jesus, they believed Jesus was the true prophet, the true priest, the true king that Israel had always looked for. The second word there is Jesus. They believed he was Christ, but they believed he was Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? It's the Old Testament Hebrew word Joshua, Yahshua, and it means the Lord is our salvation. They believed Jesus was their savior. And then, Lord, they believed that Jesus was the Lord over the entire universe and over their lives. They had begun well. They had received Christ Jesus as Lord. And hear me on this. You can't make progress in your spiritual life if you don't first have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That is where it begins. But he continues. And he's going to say there's a danger in your walk. There's a danger in your spiritual walk, and it's going to come from all sides. He says some people are going to be, as they walk with Jesus for a lifetime, there's going to be temptations. And for some, it's to go back to the life they used to have. For some, it's going to be people calling them to the right or people calling them to the left. And for some, and what's happening in Colossae is that they're calling them to move beyond Jesus. That Jesus was a good start, but in their walk with Jesus, to outpace him and move beyond him. And Paul is going to tell us, how we stay walking with Jesus for a lifetime. And he's going to show us four essentials to how we walk with Jesus for a lifetime in verses 7 and 8. And that's what I want to show you this morning. Four essentials to walking with Jesus for a lifetime. In other words, how to not become like Crawford Toy, how to not become one of the de-churched or the deconstructing. How do you do it? Number one, you have to be grounded. You have to be grounded. Look at verse 7. It says, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. We'll, we'll look at the whole verse, but just start at that first part, being rooted, being grounded. Paul switches metaphors on us from walking to a plant. He says, if you want to have a walk with Jesus that lasts a lifetime, you have to be grounded, deeply rooted in Christ. About 10 years ago, Jennifer and I moved to West Texas for a ministry position. In West Texas, they're not very creative about the names. There's a town that is called Plainview. How do you think it looks there? There's a town called Level Land. How do you think the topography is there? 
Well, and the town we lived in was called Canyon. And what do you think was there? A canyon, Paladura Canyon. I have a picture of it here. Uh, Paladura Canyon um, was about 10 minutes from our house, and it was a beautiful place. Um, and so I'm not sure the history of how they named the town, but I'm pretty sure that someone went, there's a canyon, let's call it Canyon. And when we lived there, we encountered something that we had never encountered before, and that was tumbleweeds. And one day we're driving, we just moved there, and all of a sudden, Jennifer says, something's coming at you, and it's a tumbleweed coming at our car, right? Because you had to dodge tumbleweeds all the time, or if you, once you're there for a while, you just get used, they're going to hit your car, which is part of it. But why do tumbleweeds blow around? See, tumbleweeds actually only have one root, and that one root is very shallow. And so when the West Texas winds come along, we come along pretty powerful, what happens is those tumbleweeds blow out of the ground, and then they are at the mercy of the wind, and they just blow all around, all over, into cars and everywhere else. That's what happens there. What Paul is saying here is he's telling the church that if they're not rooted deeply in Christ, if they just have shallow roots, what's going to happen to them is they are going to blow around in the winds of our culture anywhere the culture wants to take them because they are not rooted deeply enough in Christ. And he's saying, church, I don't want you to be like a tumbleweed, but I want you to be a tree deeply rooted that the, when the winds of life and the storms of life come, you must stay rooted deeply in Christ. Why is this such, a pro what, such an issue? I believe we have a problem in our nation among evangelical Christians of being shallow. Here's what I want to share with you is, I believe this is backed up by statistics. See, recently there was a study done by Lifeway and Ligonier Ministries called the State of Theology. And I want to share some of the results with you this morning. They surveyed evangelical Christians, not just, not just those who are in our country, but evangelical people who say they're Christians, and here's what they said. They asked, do you agree with this statement? And 26% agreed with the following statement, that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but not literally true. 26% of evangelical Christians agreed with that. Um, should have these come up on the screen. 37% uh, said that gender identity is a matter of choice. 37% of evangelical Christians. 38% say that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. 38%. 43% say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And 56% say that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That is over half of people who claim to be evangelical Christians. And we wonder, why is there such a problem with de-churching and deconstruction? The reason is, is because often we're as rooted as a tumbleweed. And when the winds of culture blow, we blow right along with them. But what Paul is telling the Colossians and us is if we want to stay firm in a culture that is changing, we must be rooted deeply in Christ. Amen? Amen. So, 
if we are to be rooted deeply, how do we do it? Well, that's our second essential. We must be growing. We must be growing. Now, notice what it says in verse 7. It says, being rooted in him and built up in him. Built up in him. We've got to be growing. Every Christian should be growing in their faith. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. Every one of us should be growing in our faith. I remember back when Lucy was just a baby. My, my Lucy here, she's five, and when she was a baby, she, when she began to walk, she, she did great. She, was, she started off, and she'd take her first step, and like all, all little, little toddlers at the time, they take a few steps, and what do they do? They kind of waddle and then plop down, right? But as a father, how did I respond to this step of growth in her life? Did I look at her and say, Lucy, I can't believe you can't run a 5K yet? Or did I celebrate her small step of growth? I celebrated her small step of growth. Sometimes we get discouraged in our Christian faith. Wondering why we, man, we just know we need to do more, do more, do more. I want you to know your heavenly father is ecstatic over your small steps of spiritual growth. Just as I was excited about Lucy walking, your father in heaven is excited about the steps you're taking in your spiritual growth. And I just want to encourage you, keep growing keep growing so how do you grow well you got to be nourished by the word of god if you're not nourished by the word of god how are you going to grow we must regularly read and study the bible i want to encourage you be in a cdp christian discipleship pathway class on wednesday nights we had one of our largest wednesday nights in the history of the church this wednesday we had a lot of people in cdp class we'd love for you to join those be in a connection group study the word of god go to our upcoming women's ministry our women's conference we would love to see you grow in the word of god you got to be nourished by the word of god but you got to cultivate your heart through prayer and worship you see prayer reorients us to the most important realities of life no matter what we've been going through prayer reorients us to what's important and worship worship does this incredible thing as we sing and put our focus on the Lord, and as Todd reminded us as we sang that, that God has answered our prayers in the past, we are reminded that life is not dependent upon us. Life is not ultimately about us. Life is about God, and our attention gets turned off all of our problems and back onto the promises of God. And who doesn't need that? You see, that's what we need to do if we want to grow. We've got to cultivate our heart through prayer and worship. And thirdly, we must be strengthened by community. We need to be strengthened by community. Hear me on this. You can never grow alone as much as you can grow together. We need one another. Several years ago, Jennifer and I went to San Francisco on vacation, and it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we went to Alcatraz. We, we did all kinds of stuff. But one of the highlights of our trips trip there was we went across the bay to go see the redwoods at a place called Muir Woods. I have a picture from our trip there, a picture I took, and I was just blown away with how tall these trees were. They were just incredible. Well, I learned something that really interested me about these redwood trees. You see, these trees intentionally intertwine their roots. They're together. And because their root structure is together, these, they share nutrients, they, they 
feed one another. And what happens as they share these roots together, these trees are able to grow taller than they ever could alone. What a beautiful image of the church. As we are connected together, strengthened in community, intertwined with one another, we can grow taller and stronger than we ever could alone. Church, we need one another if we're ever going to become all that God wants us to be. So we have to be growing. We're nourished by the word, we cultivate our hearts, and we're strengthened by community. So that's number two, we must be growing. Number three, we must be grateful. The third thing, if you want to walk with Jesus for a lifetime, you've got to be grateful. Notice what he says there in verse 7. He says, you have to be overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. I love that phrase. One of the things here we like to, we, we've learned is that there are a lot of waterfalls around. And we've got to go see a lot of the waterfalls. And one of the things about a waterfall is the water keeps on coming. It doesn't just pour over and then stop. It keeps on coming. What is, what is Paul saying here about overflowing with gratitude? Are you just grateful once a year at Thanksgiving? No, what is it? You're overflowing like a waterfall with gratitude. It just keeps on coming. You have a lifestyle of gratitude. Because Paul knew something about the human heart. Gratitude is tethered to devotion. Gratitude is tethered to devotion. If we aren't grateful, we won't be devoted. But when we are grateful, our devotion will follow. The more grateful we are, the closer to Jesus we will stay. The less grateful we are, the more we can drift from him. You see, because gratitude for Christians is a deeply personal thing. Often, especially around Thanksgiving, you'll hear people talk about, man, we just need to be thankful. And we do need to be thankful. But often in our world, there's this sense of generic thankfulness. It'll be like, man, I'm just so blessed, people will say. Just gotta be thankful. But they forget one important element of gratitude. That gratitude is deeply personal. You see, we're not just grateful, we're not just thankful, we're not just blessed. We are grateful to someone. We are grateful to the Lord who has blessed us. We are thankful to the Lord who has blessed us. I think this is really illustrated in a quote by G.K. Chesterton. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful, but has no one to thank Deep down, every person knows that they have been blessed by someone. Deep down, every person knows that they have someone to thank. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ do not know who it is. But as his people, we aren't just generically thankful. We are thankful to the God who has blessed us so incredibly. This morning, have, I want to ask you this week, have you thanked God for his blessings in your life? Not just generically, but specifically. Have you thanked him? I remember the old song, some of you may remember it. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, 
Count your many blessings. See what God has done. I am afraid that we forget to count our blessings. And we forget to have an attitude of thankfulness. You see, if we want to walk with Jesus our entire lives without walking to the side or to the back or to the front, if we want to stay walking with Jesus, we must stay grateful to Jesus. And one of the things I will tell you, there will, there's nothing that will tether your heart to the Lord more than living a life of gratitude. So I'm going to encourage you. We must be grateful. And then lastly, our fourth essential is we must be on guard. We must be on guard. What does it say in verse 5? He says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Be careful, Paul says. And as Paul says, be careful, he's imagining a Christian. And he's imagining this Christian who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord, and he's on this walk with Jesus for his entire life. And so imagine this stage is your entire spiritual journey, and as you're walking with Jesus, Paul's imagining how there are going to be people in the life of a Christian who try to get you off the path of walking with Jesus. There are going to be people who shout at you from behind, people who, who shout at you from the side, saying, come over here, people on this side, come over here, people asking you to move beyond Jesus. And Paul is saying, be careful that no one on either side of you takes you captive. You can imagine how this might play out in our culture. People seeking to persuade Christians with arguments that on the surface seem reasonable but inevitably lead you away from Jesus. So let's imagine our Christian. He begins walking with Jesus. A few years have gone by, he's been walking with Jesus, and he hears people shouting at him. And they say this, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. As long as you mean well, God will understand. And at first, our Christian hears that and it seems reasonable. But then what does he do? He reminds himself, no, Jesus, the one I'm walking with, said I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he reminds himself, no matter what, who's shouting at him, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Well, maybe here's another voice that says, God doesn't care how you live. He just wants you to be happy. Love is love. And it sounds good on the surface, but then he remembers that God wants more than just for us to be happy on our own terms. He wants to give us deep, abiding joy in himself. He remembers that, that God actually is the one who made us and he's the one who designed us. He knows how life works best, that God is the king and ruler of the universe and we do not determine what is right. We do not determine um, what is holy, but we are called to conform to the one who is the ruler of the universe. And so he wants more than just for us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to follow him. And so he says, oh, I hear that. I hear that you think that God doesn't care how you live. He just wants you to be happy. But here's the thing. You don't know how to make yourself happy, but God does. And so he refutes it. 
And then, and, then, and then maybe he hears someone else on the other side say, well, you can't trust the Bible. It's an ancient book. You can't trust it to speak to modern issues. It's outdated. It's old-fashioned. And it's got the values of your grandparents. But then he reminds himself that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God and that the culture's views have changed hundreds of times over the last 2,000 years, but God's word hasn't changed one bit. It's historically accurate. It's internally consistent. It's tried and proven. And did you know this? And the Bible is recommended by millions of satisfied users. You see, a lot of arguments may seem reasonable at first, but when we are grounded in Christ, when we're growing in Christ, when we're grateful for Christ, we can stand like a redwood tree in the forest, even when the winds of culture blow all around us and want to send us blowing like a tumbleweed in a West Texas wind, we can stand firm when we stand upon the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to talk to three people in this room. First, those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while. You became a Christian a while ago. I want to encourage you. Stay grounded in the Word of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep growing. Keep growing. Don't get satisfied where you are. Keep growing. Thirdly, be grateful. Have you ever done a gratitude inventory in your life where you just take a list out and you write all the things you should be thankful for? Be grateful and stay on guard because the winds of the culture are always changing and the arguments you hear may change, but I want to encourage you, do not let your guard down in this cultural moment, but stand firm on the word of God and be on guard. Second person I want to talk to in this room is those who once walked with the Lord Jesus and things were going well, but over time you just kind of left the path a little bit. And this morning you're here and you know that you need to get back on the path of walking with the Lord. I want to encourage you, come on back. The Lord Jesus wants you to come back to the path and keep walking with him. So if that's you, don't let the devil tell you that Jesus doesn't want you to come back to the path. He wants you to come back to the path. He wants you to keep growing. He's like me with Lucy when she fell over the first time he's not angry with you but he's excited for you to come back and try again and I just want to encourage you get back on the path the third person I want to talk to is the one who has not started their walk with Jesus yet if that's you this morning I want to encourage you life is too hard to walk alone you need to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to encourage you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus and trust him. And he will walk with you every step of the way. You know, growing up, we sang another old hymn. It went like this. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. Like every kid growing up, all I could wonder about that song was, who's Andy? Andy? 
That is a terrible joke. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they officially call a preacher joke, right? But in all seriousness, think of the great, profound nature of those words. That all through life, through the greatest moments of our life, to the biggest trials and valleys of our lives, we can say those words, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Brothers and sisters, let's be grounded in him. Let's be growing in him. Let's be grateful for him. And let us be on guard. And if we will, we will walk with Jesus for a lifetime until one day he welcomes us home with him. Let's walk. Let's walk together. But let's remember, we never walk alone because he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me, I am his own. This is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful text that calls us to stand firm in a world that often wants to blow us around. Father, I pray that we will be grounded, growing, grateful, and on guard believers. Father, I pray for the person who this morning may have wandered from the path of walking with Jesus. And I pray that this morning they will repent and come back to the path with Jesus and continue their walk once again. And Father, I pray for those who have, let, who have never joined this walk with Jesus. I pray this morning they will repent of their sin, turn to Christ, and come and walk with him. And they can know from this moment on they never have to walk alone again, but that their Savior walks with them. The one who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is Jesus, Yahshua, the Lord of our salvation, our Savior, and the one who is the Lord over their life. I pray they will trust him this morning, and they will begin that walk that lasts a lifetime. Father, thank you for this truth. Press it into our souls and make us into the people you created us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and respond this morning?